This podcast is brought to you by, by, by Civic Tech Innovation Network in partnership with Voice of Vets. Hello, I'm Mabato Monze and your host. Today I'm speaking to Richard Givers. Richard is the founder of Open Cities Lab, a civic technology lab with a focus on the development of open data for application to urban challenges operating within cities in Africa. Richard is also one of the founding reference group members of the Civic Tech Innovation Network. Welcome to our eighth episode on speaking civic tech in Africa. Welcome, Richard. Thanks. Thanks so much, Mubato. Thanks for having me. How did you get into open data? I worked as an economist, and so then my early career was working in development economics as a consultant, and I worked a lot um, on government projects, often at a city or a national level. And I found myself increasingly surprised and frustrated at the level of access to information and the static processes that were involved in creating good, better cities, better infrastructure, service delivery. Um, and so I started to investigate ways in which this could be improved. And at the same time, I think uh, this was around sort of 2010, 11, 12, the data science sector was emerging as a sort of new spin on the use of data and statistics and decision-making and domain knowledge and technology. I think a marriage of that plus the work I was involved in led me down a path of trying to investigate how we could optimize or use data to make better decisions and how we could create living or dynamic solutions to public problems and public challenges in a better way than we were currently doing in market research around that and starting to understand what a role can be in that. I became aware of the open data movement globally, which had been gathering momentum since the early 2000s on the back of people like Sir Tim Berners-Lee and others starting to ask for leveraging the internet to help us open and connect data to make better decisions. There was sort of a confluence of those three things that led me to to get involved in open data, yeah, I think from then it's just been an interesting part. So I suppose then that is what inspired you to start Open Cities Lab. Yes, well, I, so my first move was to create a startup, a data science startup around this, around cities and and data, working closely with a friend of mine who had been involved in machine learning and data data science and starting to experiment what we could do around data and cities and governance. I think we became more aware of the open data movement of the potential for impact. It sort of galvanized into what started as a meetup group uh, called Open Data Durban, which sort of had one of those uh, snowballing effects where, you know, we organized our first meetup I expected three people to come and 17 showed up and there seemed to be a lot of interest in the topic. And then we managed to get some guest speakers, which created excitement. And I happened to be involved in an urban lab at the same time with the GIZ Global Leadership Academy, which is also incidentally how I met Geshi, who's a part of the CTIN network um, and had some very sort of inspiring connections across the board, as well as the sort of momentum of this group turning into a steering committee and very quickly kind of deciding that we should create an organization and that sort of all just emerged into what in those days was called Open Data Durban and then I think our mission grew and we started to work generally on on cities and in that space and so transitioned into Open Cities Lab. It sounds like it's been an interesting journey. What would you say has been your personal philosophy which has influenced your work? 
I think I was centered around mission and mission type work. And by that, I mean, I think what, in, what inspires me or excites me in terms of the work I do in the world is seeing kind of some change or some improvement. And I think I, I come from a change-minded mindset. But I think also in working in the development sector, working as an economist, it seemed to make sense to me that we need to do everything we can to try and build inclusion and participation. And I think some of the inspiring, the things that I find inspiring about communities around the world that are dynamic and vibrant and where creativity is rife and, and where sort of, whether it's economic or social or creative activities are happening to create new ideas and new things and things that are amazing and beautiful, typically come from places where people are allowed to participate, are allowed to be in the same space and where people understand or have agency to do. And I think noticing sort of that which inspires me against the backdrop of a South African context and to a degree, I suppose, an African context, inspires me to try and help us remove the barriers and blockages, whether they're systemic or structural or spatial or social, whatever it is, to try and create those sorts of communities as sort of societies that I think we can be. And at the same time, help elevate people's access to their right, their basic rights, but more than that, their ability to sort of self-actualize. And I mean, these are big ideas, big concepts, and I'm certainly not saying that we think we can do this all, but I think certainly it's that sort of philosophy that inspires me to do the work we do and hopefully play some small parts in that, in the, yeah, in the work and the projects organization undertakes. Would you say through Open Cities Lab, you have found your purpose? And I'm asking you this because I'm picking up that a lot of what inspires why you're doing this is not really about you. It's about the broader community. It's about making a difference. Would you say, you know, this is your purpose? I'd say that it certainly encompasses a lot of the purpose that I have right now. And, I, you know, I think in, in growing an organization, that's interesting to see where the founder or the kind of person who's driving their philosophy starts to get replaced or adapted into an organizational philosophy, which is really important because I come from one perspective in one space and, you know, OCL, Open Cities Lab, and its mission and impact is bigger than than one person or one idea. And I think for the growth and sustainability and an ability to have impact, that's been an interesting thing to watch. And it's been very validating and and lovely to see, you know, partners, donors, team members, other leaders rise up and sort of take on and enhance and make it way better than I could have ever thought of. So I think there's certainly a now an alignment of the, my sort of personal approach and purpose to what OCL does. There's also other ideas that may be part of OCL or, or may may not. I mean, I think I'm very interested in in privacy, in in agency, and the use of data. And it's going to be interesting. I think it's going to be very interesting and exciting and scary kind of next 10 years as we see citizens and individuals um, become more aware and have build capacity and understanding of data and its use. And, and hopefully that leads to really good outcomes in terms of both openness and privacy, which are often presented as opposites, but I think are very much in the same philosophy of, you know, caring about people. And I think um, there's many different areas which I'm quite interested in, but I think quite a lot of them overlap with OCL and that's, that's really fantastic, yeah. 
you know, just thinking about civic technology and how open data fits into people being able to use the data to come up with different platforms that make communities or society better. What does civic tech mean to you and, and how does open data fit into that? So, I mean, I think civic tech is an interesting and contested term, to be fair. I think that's what we see civic tech as is broadly technologies that um, enhance a relationship or the relationship between people and governments that give citizens and residents and people more of a voice to participate in decision-making, public decision-making, also to improve the delivery of services. And I think very, you know, very important to get more involved in planning and in terms of expressing the ideals of what they would like their space to be, whether that's digital or public or social space. I think civic tech can be a captured term. You know, I think sometimes organizations like Facebook describe themselves as civic tech. But for me, I think civic tech very much focuses on the civic and not the, not the tech. And so in that, it's around civic good and around civic purpose. And that's where you also see the ability for civil society and academic academia and the media and private business to get involved. But certainly where any of the purposes within civic tech, I think, start to become more important than the public impact, so positive social impact, we start to see a sort of distortion of the term civic tech. Open data, for me, is critical. And I think that's an interesting way of the relationship between civic tech and open data providing to me more of a core understanding what civic tech is meant to be. Because without open data or without openness, it becomes very possible to get distorted or become something that is captured by um, a certain group with power, be it private business, be it a certain group of government or even civil society. And so the ability to have openness as an approach, I think is quite core to the impact agenda of civic tech. But on top of that, the ability to create solutions for, for problems that are faced by residents and citizens is largely enhanced or improved by having access to open data. So for example, if a city is able to release bus timetables and bus locations and those sorts of things through some sort of API, innovators are able to develop a transport which lets people know where their bus is and what routes to take. And, you know, you have public data that then is having private um, but open tech built on top of it that enables better civic kind of access to transport and mobility. And also quite importantly happens where there's levels of investment outside of government. So government hasn't had to pay for that. And so there's sort of a public good there. And where a city or government is able to receive data so in an open space, so for example, where data is being fed by citizens or communities or community leaders on the current status of, say, wash facilities, taps and toilets and those sorts of things. And, uh, and that data is able to be fed into a system that, you know, helps the city fix faults and deploy infrastructure and broadly improve service delivery. And that open data facilitates both quality control and checking and accountability from both a community and inside government, you know, that kind of instance makes that civic tech or the tech that's functioning there much more likely to have impact. So for an ordinary person like myself, how would you describe 
open data and at what point do I have the power to use it and for what impact or how can it impact organizations that have civic tech uh, initiatives? So I'm going to go to these sort of what I would call the gold standard of definitions for open data, which is from the Open Data Handbook, um, something that's been created by um, an organization called Open Knowledge Foundation um, and others um, who have been working in the space for a very long time. They define open data as data that can be freely used, reused, and redistributed by anybody or anyone, subject only at most to the requirements to attribute and share alike. So I think some of the the kind of really critical dynamics there is availability and access. Again, we should be meeting people where they are. And so the ability to access data and its availability needs to be based on a sort of demand or a user end frame within reason. But quite commonly, you know, at least being able to be downloadable over the internet in a convenient and modifiable form, so not in a locked format, and in some way that uh, there is ability to understand it. It needs to be licensed in a way that it can be reused and redistributed. So you using that data, no matter what data it is, um, shouldn't be limited by its license. And so you're allowed to mix it with other data sets and come up with new data, You know, redistribute that to whoever else is interested in those sorts of things. And then I think like there's that universal participation element that's really critical. So, you know, you want to try and not discriminate against any of the interests or people or groups that would want to use this data. You know, and often you see data that is supposedly open data that has sort of non-commercial restrictions or is only allowed to be used for certain purposes. And I think that that really then creates an unintentional um, restrictions and limits on the data that prevents its ability to have impact in certain spaces. Um, I think what's going to be quite interesting in terms of this discussion is that, you know, there's different fields of thought. And I mean, uh, certainly within the open data space, you know, it's not a perfect sort of sector ecosystem and you have various different views. Um, so for example, a lot of the reasons uh, that are given to not open data are often things like people don't care about it or won't know how to use it. There's often a lot of innovator or kind of expert bias that uh, sort of suggests that people aren't intelligent enough to use it or they don't have the required skills. That's, you know, there's strange reasons to prevent commercial use. And I think, you know, there's those sorts of approaches, which I think are interesting and not without sort of debate, but um, at the, in the end of the day, there's certainly like coming from uh, what I would call probably the wrong perspective and that, you know, the work should be done in open data. It's not just open data, but to also provide the mechanisms for people to use it. So whatever sorts of interventions around metadata and explanations and examples and support can be given, you know, um, really improve its ability to be used directly if that's how it's being seen. But I think also that's, you know, there's a demand versus a supply side discussion. And I think in the early days, um, open data very much was, in terms of initiatives around the world, we're very much about trying to open all the data. And so you would have open data portals with thousands of data sets on them, but very little understanding of how those were being used, whether they were useful. And I think what we're seeing more commonly around the world at the moment and has been for last 
while um, is a user problem frame focus. And so what is the demand for that data? What question does it provide the ability to answer? Uh, what sort of problem is being suffered by that citizen or that resident or that community or that city or whatever that this data will help solve? And so, you know, letting the demand pull um, also create the case for impact and, and understanding the value of investing in open data because this, you know, it's, it is something that is free and open should be something that is free and open for anybody to use, but it's certainly not free very often. It's almost never free to provide. And so the ability to clean and coordinate open data and put it on a platform on the web that people can access it and do all those things, you know, takes time and money. And so um, being able to provide the use case and the problem frame and sort of impact story to see how those resources are leading to civic improvements and, and solving public problems really helps motivate public investment and then private investment in it. So, I mean, it's to steal from economics. It's sort of that thing of, you know, impact from open data, impact from the supply of open data is like pushing a string. Um, the string has to be pulled by the demand. I think I have a sense of how open data is used to improve spaces in urban areas. But I think I'm more interested in understanding how open data is used to improve governance and participatory uh, democracy in rural areas, for example. So I think, again, I mean, it's something, you know, important for us to talk about, but open data is a mechanism. It's a pipe. It's, it's not the water. The water is participation and change positive change and inclusion and those sorts of things and so within any area whether rural or urban but especially within rural it's to me the question is more how can governance be strengthened what are the current problems or blockages that mean we have weak governance or um, distorted or misdirected governance and then what information and process and structure needs to be put in place to support those that decision making and so I think one of the common misconceptions, excuse me, about open data is that it's a solution. I think open data is needs to be used in solving a problem, but the solution itself is the intervention that's built on top of open information, often through civic technology, but very often through increasing the capabilities and organizational processes of those that are responsible for governments, which is very often the states, very often a municipality, um, but is often involves civil society and other types of organizations and the governance mechanism. So within a, you know, for example, we a project that we've been working, you know, projects that we've been working on could like include a partnership with uh, Mining Dialogue 360, which is around trying to give mining affected communities an evidence-based seats at the table when talking about service delivery and infrastructure provision with local governments and mining houses. And typically these are rural areas. And it's not sort of some magic wand that we kind of create an app and all of a sudden we connect to communities. I think in these cases, a lot of the work is around building trust with communities, um, relying on partnerships and trusted relationships understanding how we can maybe deploy um, technology for even sort of our own teams to help collect and collate information, how we can use data that's available from various different sources, whether it's from that municipality and, and helping them from the kind of sector or um, commercial information, statistics, 
So just looking at various different the media, various different data sources and how they come together to provide the ability to understand the context, to understand behavioral preferences and trends and beliefs and all the sorts of things that go into governance and then how to use that to come to support effective decision-making that is able to be fed back to those communities that they're able to understand and take part in why decisions are being made. They can see the feedback loop of input to output. So I think it's a complex question. Um, you know, another one is a partnership with violence prevention through urban upgrading on programs such as Check It, which is that um, example of wash facilities monitoring and integration between communities and the city. And these might not be rural communities, but they're often informal settlements that have, you know, lack, lack access to basic services and also connectivity. And it's how, again, working through trusted partnerships through meeting people where they are at their level of capability, at their level of technology access, at their level of um, need, and how to build a solution back from that that actually works to solve their problem. As opposed to, I think, what happens a lot in civic tech, which is very interesting pilots and pilotitis that don't really ever scale and become sustainable, or a lot of tech-wide elephants of things that are great tech solutions, but in most cases, which is a really difficult pull for civic tech people to swallow, that the tech wasn't really the barrier in the first place, and that it's human process, understanding, context, trust, governance, <laughs> and things like that that need to be bundled into the deployments of civic technology and open access information or open data to kind of lead to some sort of change. And so I think... I would be reticent to say open data is strengthening governance. Critical intervention that is built on top of open data has the ability to strengthen governance alongside problem frame focus, alongside understanding context and need, alongside building trust and hearing people's voices and giving them the ability to lead, and alongside sort of uh, process and structural rearranging and change management that can help strengthen governance. Certainly, I think open data is the pillar, is one of the core pillars that anything smart is built on. And again, another captured term, which I really am not a fan of is smart cities. But I think, you know, one of the things around governance is maybe smart governance, if we want to call it that, is the fact that most of this is impossible without open data. And most of our ability to build to evidence-based decision-making in governance is impossible without open data. And not because the data doesn't necessarily exist, but the effort required to create mechanisms for that open data to be used in decision-making is often too expensive and too long-term in terms of like how, did, how sort of political um, cycles work in government for it to happen unless there is other investment, you know, those people like us that are able to build technology, bring in donor funding, have private sector investments involved. And, and if there is accountability, so if there's actually a demand pool which is requiring that intervention to happen. And so that's why open data is so critical in the ecosystem. So I hope that answers the question. I know it was a little bit of a mouthful. No, it does. And it causes one to think about other issues around governance and democracy and access and, and how some of these things affect issues around data privacy, what it means for, you know, for civilians. We've seen how data 
factor is important, not only in the political space, but I think, you know, commercial businesses as well benefit quite a lot from having access to all this data. But I think what I want to move on to now is for you to share with us which categories of open data you are most interested in having access to and why. It's an interesting question. I mean, there's been phases in my life where different things have interested me from I mean, I think right now, one of the things that is affecting all of us is health information and related things. So we've recently started a a collaboration project across the continent called the Africa Data Hub. And its purpose is to try and surface information from Africa by Africa to support public health decision making, especially through servicing this information to citizens through the media. Because I think one of the things that we often find is that, and we're seeing this in the pandemic, is that despite there being amazing initiatives and quite frankly, some of the most inspiring and most impressive interventions in the continent, there's, there's often also a real lack of mechanisms that can surface information. And I think even within South Africa, we're seeing some of the issues, you know, where a lot of what we are getting as the public are sort of, you know, maybe summary PDFs and um, one has to look to work like Media Hacks, COVID dashboard to really find good sources of information around what's happening. So, I mean, with this collaboration, which is with OpenUp and MediaHack, Adibidev, Data, and Media Monitoring Africa, as well as a number of newsrooms throughout the continent, you know, this this sort of initiative, I think, really excites me right now. You know, there's, there's certainly, an, I have a big interest in planning data, if one wants to call it that, or the information that or data that goes into us making decisions, especially as cities, around where to put infrastructure and the way that cities are created. Because I think within South Africa, we have this historical context of sprawl uh, and, and cities sort of becoming very difficult to manage and very difficult to service because there's been a lot of fear of public space and a lot of propaganda in our history around trying to push separate spatial development that has meant that we have this sort of hangover and planning around kind of creating everyone wants their own space that's away from others. And I think that really concerns me, you know, as I see cities sprawl and develop gated estates and these sorts of things. These are very anti what I would say are the critical factors to create vibrant cities, to create creativity and diversity in a way that one sees in some of the great cities around the world. And so how to sort of motivate for public, safe, creative, dynamic spaces that sort of crowd in people in a positive sense and crowd in investment, that sort of thing is really important to me. And I think that also kind of goes into an interesting stuff. I mean, I think interesting area. So behavioral, behavioral, behavioral economics type things, which is why do people make decisions, you know, knowing that we're irrational and lack, um, you know, the ability to have all facts in front of us. And there's sort of context and history into why we make choices and decisions, how, how we start to positively intervene in helping residents, citizens, community groups, the government at various levels um, and other key players sort of surface these cognitive, say, distortions or ideas around maybe things that create negative or sort of distorted outcomes and how we combat those perceptions and stuff and try to surface through open access to facts and information and ideas, a way to build, you know, cities and communities in, 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 in a way that leads to 
the sort of diversity and inclusion and participation that elevates us to that point where people have access to their basic rights, they have access to education, they have access to um, work and employment, but you know, also that's coming together in a way that they the ways that they feed off each other and there's ability for you know more creativity and more expression in a in a positive sense. So I think those sorts of areas are very interesting to me right now. Both the data that supports that and then also the sort of research and ideas around how to how to surface those things, how to, you know, help get all the information out so that people are making good decisions. And I suppose also to understand why people make the decisions they do and know that maybe my ideals for what we want and to see is not what everyone shares, but how do we sort of get to a sense where we get a sense of the mood and what people want um, across the board and why they want that and then sort of try to find the best sort of outcomes as a community, you know, for them. And so what would you say is the future or potential of civic tech and open data in Africa? There's huge potential for open data and civic tech to be used to create inclusion, participation, um, better informed decision-making, of course, because otherwise I suppose I wouldn't be doing what I do. I think that the dynamic has to be around demand focus, around focusing around user problem frames. So who is the citizen resident group that we're trying to help? Like, let's talk directly to them. What is the problem they face? How do we build backwards from there to get to something that works? How do we incorporate ideas that are happening around the world in terms of new innovations and ways of solving problems, Um, new technologies, new process approaches, new ability to build capabilities, you know, and how, how does that come in? And if we're able to do that, I think, you know, we really do have huge potential to use open data and layers of civic technology to improve everything from health to education to improving the economy to building better cities. I think that, you know, some of the key dynamics in this are going to be, you know, political will. So how do we work within political cycles and which are generally quite short term or within sort of administrations, very long term? How do we sort of match needs within and throughout the ecosystem to um, sort of galvanize that whole thing around solving these problems? And quite critically for I think if we're talking about an African frame or South African frame, how do we do it where we take everyone forward together? Because I think what we've seen a lot of is interventions of technology that work in other places. And I mean, certainly we've been responsible for this and it's something we try to hold ourselves to as a standard. But, you know, just taking technology and dropping it onto new contexts and especially ones with significant digital divides, I mean, tends to increase distortion and increase inequality. And so, you know, we, we have everyone talking about this fourth industrial revolution and it's a big buzzword and there's a lot of things and blockchain and all of this sort of stuff. But we have, you know, large parts of population or communities that are lacking access to the internet, for example, or devices in which they can do these things. And so we're lacking governance frameworks for, for digital intervention. We're lacking capabilities and process interventions. And we have a sort of sense, and this happens, I see a lot through the project we work in, that tech is some sort of silver bullet that will solve a problem. And that's very much not the case. If we don't take our context into account and if we don't start to work from the people where they are, we try to drop sort of solutions or frames onto our context, I think it can be very damaging. So, you know, and I think that's one of the, you know, some of the key challenges within this is that there has to be approaches that are taking into account these factors that are working from the place where people are that aren't 
very cognizant of distortions they may be introducing by solutions. And, you know, I think that again, so how do you, you know, those are some of the key dynamics in terms of the potential civic techno Mandela. Thank you very much, uh, Richard. I must say, I've definitely learned new insights. I think the work that you're doing is is incredible and well done to you and your team. That was Richard Givers from Open Cities Lab. You can follow Richard on Twitter at Richard Givers and follow us at Civic Tech Africa. I hope you were inspired and enjoyed the conversation. Goodbye. This podcast was brought to you by Civic Tech Innovation Network in partnership with Voice of Vets.